0: training tuesday 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 mr kirk de wint mr bracken cracker
1: i'd like to start with a bit of a rant and a bit of a soapbox here today
0: oh, i love it when you rant and stand on the soapbox is this one going to get you in trouble or do you think uh we're going to be safe with this one
1: no, because I'm not going to call out anyone in particular, even though I'm going to use a single person's example. It's going to be very redacted information. This is this is just a good time of year for people to hear this. It's always a good time of year. I'm all ears. Okay. I started working with an athlete this year, and this athlete came to me because of an episode we did where I talked about doing the Tennessee Mile and then shortly after High Rock's doubles with Callie. Yep. And... That's what she wanted to do. She wanted to do an ultra and she wanted to do a hybrid event. And so she came and said, I like the idea of it. Do you think we can do an ultra and hyrox within a month of each other? I said, absolutely. She said, can I PR both? I said, you know what? It's not the ideal way of doing either, but I believe that they actually support each other more than they fight each other said, on paper, it doesn't look like it, but I believe they can be symbiotic. It may not be best world, but it's not far below that.
0: I agree with you, but I'm curious where you're going with this.
1: At which point she told me she currently is working with a coach who said it's not possible. Hmm. I said, okay. And initially this was a coaching consult, not even like a, it was just pay for consult, see what's happening. And I basically said the usual thing, which is I'm not going to talk against anything you're currently doing, but I'm going to explain what I'm doing. And then as sometimes happens, she got done with the consult and said, I think I'm going to go have a difficult conversation with my coach. Hmm. And if the coach is not willing to change, then I'm going to, I'd like to work with you. And I said, well, I'm, i we can have that conversation after you have this conversation with your coach. Cause otherwise it's weird it's poaching. It's don't want to get into that. Well, she had the conversation with the coach and the coach basically said, which he had reiterated in the past. We will not do compromise work. We will not do mixed modality work. We will run. And you can do strength work, but we will not mix them. And it is very unlikely you'll meet your goal in either of them. I don't think it's a good idea for you. I don't think you'll hit your your goals um, if you go after both. And she said, okay, we're done here.
0: Is this a, sorry to interrupt,
1: is this a traditional run coach? It's a traditional run coach, but who has experience in the industry. Okay. Has at least done their own has competed in the event she wanted to compete in. Okay. Uh, And and I didn't know the extent of what the coach had talked about with her until she finished up the second of the two events a few weekends ago. And we had our, this past week, we had our kind of debrief off-season call, talk about what we're going to do. And she came came forth with a little bit more information and talked about she had been told some specifics by the coach about the time goals and this plateau won't, most likely you won't be able to break through it if you're trying to do both concurrently. And I don't see it as, as a good goal. And again, I'm not going to program the type of thing you want me to program. And it upset me. Now let's just get it out of the way and say she reached both goals. <laughs> she PR'd both. That's right. She did. She put in the work. She did it. It was awesome. And knocked I think five minutes, six minutes off her high rocks. A month after an ultra? A month after a seven and a half hour ultra. Way to go, Bracken. Way to go, lady. No, way to go her. She just put in the work and did it. Both of you. Team effort. But, that, but it's less about that and more about the idea that if somebody has a system, it's a red flag to me because system coaches really are only effective if you get to recruit the athlete type that fits the system. That's why high school systems don't work very well and they really ebb and flow. That's why college systems work exceedingly well. Because you can recruit in the exact type of athlete whose skill set fits your system. But as you and I have seen and as most coaches and athletes eventually find out after years of testing theories or thinking you have it cemented and in, 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 you just have it cemented what works, you eventually find out that almost anything works. If it's implemented intentionally, intelligently, and consistently. Almost anything. There is no superior system. There's the superior system for you. And that system might even change as you change as an athlete over time. And so I just want to get on the soapbox and tell people to be wary of anyone who claims to have a secret. If anyone claims to have discovered something new. Of anyone who claims to have information that you can only get through them and they will not do a different style because it either means they don't understand the other style and don't know how to apply it to you or they're just trying to sell you on something that only they can provide, which is kind of the definition of a charlatan. I'm not calling this other coach a charlatan, but the industry is rife with this kind of thing and I want people to be able to avoid it. And we've talked about it in the bad coaching episode in the past and some other things, but it's timely this time of year when off seasons are starting and you're looking at getting coaches or you're looking at programming for yourself, or you're looking at buying a a template online to be wary of anyone who claims to have a superior blank, unless that blank is finding the right system for you as an athlete, because there are a million ways to get any sort of fitness gain done And we talked about it with our running atypical styles of running last week. And we're going to talk about it today with all the different ways that strength training works. But I'm just really hesitant to ever believe anyone who thinks they have a secret because
0: that doesn't exist. So did this, I guess, was, was that the conversation with the coach saying like, this is the coach had said, like, this is what I believe in and I'm not going to wiggle on that. Yeah. And so I won't, I won't shift for you is that what i'm understanding yeah An inflexible approach we'll call it
1: yeah and then there were there were some very strong overtures of uh not believing in the athlete's goal hmm. or not thinking that they could attain a goal especially if they approached it this way and one thing i like to tell people is that i'm not here to judge your goal i'm here to get you to it in the best way possible it's a goal that i might hear and think well that's dumb but how can we most intelligently accomplish this really dumb thing? Mm-hmm. And then to frame it in a positive light, not a negative. If you had some really ridiculous goal, my job is not to judge it. It's let's find a system, let's find a protocol that will get you to be able to do that appropriately. Like if you're set up for injury or failure, let's just try to subvert that. Forget changing your goal. Like I can't, we all have goals that are dumb, but they mean something to us. Mm-hmm. They're just dumb to the outsiders. So, we're not doing this for millions. We're doing this for satisfaction. Let's go after our dumb things. Let's just find a good way of doing it. I
0: agree with you 100%. And I look at like, you know, I go through my athlete roster and I look at, and I'm sure you do the same thing. Like how many different approaches are being infused with your Mm -hmm. your roster of athletes it's not like i mean yes we have principles that we follow and if we're shifting into a base building phase there's going to be core principles that we like to gravitate towards of course like that's how we've we've gotten refined over the years but um, very different very different approaches uh amongst the roster and so i agree with you and and the problem kind of is like one part of me respects a not even respect maybe respects a coach who has like these really strong beliefs, right? Like in a, in a sense at the same time, um, not being, uh, adaptable to what your athlete needs is a red flag. And typically the coaches who believe in a system are also giving you a form of a template. I hate to tell Mm. you, they're probably working a little less towards you specifically. Um, and then they're typically heavily insulted or maybe their ego is checked a little when an athlete asks for something different. And that's a tough thing when when an athlete approaches you and said, Hey, here's what I'm thinking. And I know this doesn't fit necessarily what we've been doing. What do you think? And you get strong pushback. That should be potentially a sign to look, yeah. to look elsewhere. I've had athletes approach me and, and be like, I don't, like, I want to do this or, you know what, this base thing, I can't keep doing this. I hate getting out and doing these threshold runs or I, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but this is what I believe is going to make you better. But if making and ensuring you're happy and a plan is sustainable, then I will pivot with you and let's work on this together. And I have multiple times. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm just continuing your conversation or understanding things like I've I've been there. Yeah. In Ryan
1: Atkins, I don't know if you saw, he was on with Matt B. Davis and Matt posted a clip of Ryan and Lindsay laying there talking. And the clip was, Ryan looked at the camera and said, Matt, it's not complicated. It's not that difficult. A couple times a week, do something really hard. A couple times a week, do something really easy. And the rest of the time, do something almost every single day. And just do that over and over and over for a long time and you're going to get like, 98% of the way to your ceiling. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it and I I stopped and I had to think, do I feel exposed by this? Because we get a lot deep down into rabbit holes and nitty gritty topics and these little fluctuations in training. And eventually I thought, I think I can say I'm not exposed by this. I don't think I feel called out because we like to promote a million different styles of training. So I think that's mm. that's the core concept is, It almost doesn't matter what you do as long as you're doing it for a reason and with purpose
0: and consistency. Especially if you're injecting testosterone into your butt cheeks every (laughs) week like the liver king. Like the liver king. Then it really doesn't matter what you're doing, which is a whole different topic, but he is promoting a system. And I agree with you, but here's the thing. I preach, Ryan Atkins, with you saying that. Obviously, you still need to make decisions like work really hard two or three times a week. OK, well, a decision needs to be made about what exactly that looks like. Yes. But I could not agree more with that. We love to overcomplicate things. We have a podcast about overcomplicating things. But when you strip it down, it becomes, it becomes as simple as it could possibly be.
1: Yeah. So you have Lydiard, Arthur Lydiard, whose style, his base training and volume of training and long run style is famous. You have Renato Canova, who has a lot of long endurance uh, interval work and a lot of specific paces that are percentages of other paces. You had the Nike Oregon Project, which does a lot of track intervals, a lot of them in two- to three-week microcycles repeated over and over and over for 20-week blocks. You have Horwell. You have people that do multi-pace training or the five-pace training. You have all these different systems and they've all produced world champions and world records. And you have the, the threshold-based training of the Norwegians, starting with Marius Bakken and moving up into uh, Gert Ingebrigtsen, and then now over into, it was already in the Nordic sports, and now it's in triathlon with Gustav Eden and uh, Christian Blumenfeld. All these people have a system that they follow, and they all have success. So if there really was this one system to rule them all, None of these other people would ever make podiums. It would be mm-hmm. the best athlete paired with the best system always wins. But the fact is, that is the truth. It's pairing that athlete to their best system. You have Bernard Lagarde, who claimed to never run more than 50 or 60 miles per week. And he has the second fastest 1,500 meter run of all time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He has multiple medals and championships in all the way up to the 5k. And I think he ran a good marathon.
0: Hmm. I think he ran like two oh. Five or two oh six or something in the marathon. He was part of the pace crew for Eliud. If that says anything, when he yeah. went sub two. So,
1: anyways, I I don't know if this is a soapbox or a rant. I don't know if this is a cautionary table or tail. <laughs> cautionary table. You never know. Uh, or if this is just a nice lead into. There's a lot of ways we can strike train.
0: Well, what it is is you're giving people a nice soft pillow to sleep on at night, saying, "It's like you can stress over the nuances, but." It really isn't worth stressing over as long as you're doing like exactly what maybe Atkins has outlined as simple as that, and if you go through and you look at like the Atkins Webster household, and you look at their stravas and you see the random shit they're doing all the time you're like, "Yeah, why yeah on the mountain bike today, but you Nordic skied yesterday, you have the world champs in Abu Dhabi in a week, you did some intervals here, then I just see a mountain run, then you're rock climbing. And you look at it all, and you're like, well, this looks like a bunch of hodgepodge all tossed together. But he's hitting the appropriate systems. He's swinging hard on days, doing recovery on days, and doing a bunch of stuff. And he's been more consistent at the top of our sport than absolutely any other person uh, in recent history. And so the test, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, Even if he didn't win the world championships, it's a a testament to exactly what you are saying. And I think think we do need to piggyback um, last week's episode on – uh, I guess non-traditional styles to uh, run training with the strength side of things because this is the time of year in which you kind of go back to the, not the drawing board, but you go back to like um, a new style of strength work. You get through the peaking phase, you have these A races, that's all done and behind, and then you go, okay, let's go relay a foundation, both run-wise and mm-hmm. strength-wise. And so people are like really thinking about what to do on both fronts right now. Like how do I maximize um progress for next season. So perfect timing to follow it up. And I think you gave a good segue. We're not going to sell you a system. In fact, we'll probably confuse you more than anything by the end of this because of the different things we're going to talk about, but that's exactly the point. Yeah. If you leave confused, we probably uh probably served our purpose and the mission was accomplished today. In a sense in which you're not going to know what to pick and that's okay. So
1: I want to start by saying listing off the systems of strength training that I've used throughout my time uh, as as a runner, mm-hmm. so in college we had a very Olympic lifting centric strength training program. We power cleaned three times per week. Is this at Whitewater after you transferred? This at Whitewater. Yeah, we did. The only strength training we did down at Campbell was uh, arm swings with sand filled water bottles,
0: mimicking running. Okay, motion. let's let's actually do this from high school until now. Let's walk through the just uh, the quick. Elevator pitch on each style. I'll do the same for perspective.
1: Okay. High school then. Yeah, it was uh very hard to follow any, what the program was, but we were deadlifting, squatting, uh, bench pressing, and then you would choose your own accessory lift. In fact, it said three by 10, choose your own accessory hmm. and you would do it sporadically throughout all the sports seasons. And I basically benched three times a week in my off season, <laughs> Uh, And did pull-ups and some deadlift on a trap bar all throughout the winter leading into my senior year. So that's where I started. Okay. college, my freshman year, we did sand-filled 20-ounce water bottles, arm swings for 30 to 60 seconds after doing some light core. That was it. (laughs) Went to Whitewater and I bro-lifted actually for a while uh, to get ready for baseball. A lot of bench, a lot of squat, a lot of tricep work because I thought that that would really help me hit and swing better. Um, and then just did a lot of plyo and 30-meter burst sprints. Got to whitewater when I was done with baseball, back to running, and did a lot of Olympic lifting. Power Did a lot of power cleaning. That compound explosive movement just to drive the ability to explode better, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And not really, I mean, we did some bench, did some, some not a lot of deadlift, uh, not a lot of squatting. We are basically a program based around power cleans and power high pulls, which are clean without the catch, mm-hmm. which one of my favorite exercises on earth is the power clean high pull with no
0: catch. Saves the wrists too.
1: Yeah. Um, and allows you to load up the bar more if you don't have good technique and just mm-hmm. really drive power and not worry about crappy form of trying to get a catch underneath. Because half of the catch is getting extremely, extremely low. Get the bar moving and drop underneath it and catch it. Or that's a a skill where it's just driving off the ground and pulling it high. You can just move more weight for most people. Uh, Then uh, when I first started OCR and post-collegiate running, I just went back to bro lifting for a long time. I benched. I did some core work. I did a lot of pull-ups and push-ups and curls. (laughs) A lot of lateral shoulder raises. And then got into P90X for a while. Did that for a while as my main mover of, of strength. During competitive OCR days? During competitive OCR days. Mm-hmm. And I actually felt carryover from that. Hmm. It was kind of like compromised strength work. You're never really taking long rests. You're right. doing high reps of slightly weighted motions. Uh, then I got into the 5 by 5s which I quickly pared down to 3 by 5 of squat, bench, overhead press. Uh, a lot of Mark Ripito stuff. Deadlift, uh, weighted pull ups, dips, and um, then accessory work. And then got into Wendler's 531, uh, that strength program there, which I really liked. I found it very adaptable for endurance athletes. And then I'm currently doing German volume training, which is 10 by 10s, which is a whole different animal. And in between there, I did a lot of uh, the easy strength program <laughs> in trying to chain together my different rehabs. So, many, many different styles of training. And my overall metrics on lifts haven't varied more than 10 to 15 pounds on any one given lift uh, for the last decade.
0: Well, I was hoping you'd throw a lot of different stuff at us because, uh, case in point, so many different styles. Yet here you are. Yes. Relatively deviating from center very little as far as power output and strength. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The key to this is that I have not done...
1: The the shortest program I ever did following it lengthwise would have been P90X, which was 90 days. And oftentimes I did those back-to-back. So I rarely went less than three months on one program. I followed the program through to completion and often did the next one, like starting with novice and then moving to intermediate on, let's say, some of Mark Ripito's programming. I I saw these programs through for the most part. They weren't just like one week this, one week that outside of high school
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and my sand filled (laughs) dumbbells in college.
0: We we didn't do any strength work in high school. Uh, We did push up pyramids like fit. We'd start at 10 Mm -hmm. week one. We'd have half the team on one side, half the team on other. We'd do ten pushups, ten pushups, nine, nine. Literally, that's where we started. Then we went up okay. every week. I should clarify,
1: this was for basketball and baseball during okay. high school. I was doing the lifting.
0: Right for running in college was the same thing. Twice a week, we did some plyos. We did ten minutes of core work at the end of mm. uh, end of recovery days, three times a week. Absolutely nothing until I got to grad school where I had a year of eligibility left. And we did banded arm swings for 30 seconds. Band was oh. same thing as basically the sand. And then we did uh, banded knee drives. That was all we did. We were encouraged to go in the weight room, but most of us just went in there. We had no direction, said, today you go in there for a half hour and don't come out until it's done. That was the extent of, uh, <laughs> don't, don't come out till a half hours up. And we would just dick around, do some pull-ups, play around. Mm. Um, after that, I bro lifted for like a decade. Splits three or four days a week, transition to five by fives, three by fives, um, intermixed with bro lifting, uh, heavy into compromised lifting. When I first found this sport, meaning like I was doing a lot of it with high run, uh, high running intermixed. And then now I'm in a hybrid where I am doing one raw strength day per week, um, where I'm lifting heavy, but by heavy, I might mean five to eight reps. I'm not going super low. And then uh, one day is a aerobic lift, which means I'm on and off the assault bike. Today I did a hundred pull-ups, um, in as few sets as possible with a minute and a half assault bike in between, keeping my heart rate at like 135. Took me I went 15 by four and then 10 to finish out whatever that was. But nonetheless, random crap like that. 30 sets of bench press with 50 pound dumbbells back on the assault bike, and I'm doing a combination there, and throughout this entire time, I would argue especially the last 6 years my running has improved and my functionality out there has improved, but I've done probably three different styles of strength work throughout the last 5 years. Yet, I'm continuing to progress on the running yeah. front. So does what what does it really matter? It's hard to say. I want to I want to know where you want to start this conversation if as we get maybe vaguely specific or not. But point being is that we've both done a ton of different styles. Here we are today. Um I don't know. I'm as strong as I probably was functionally ever, but I'm lifting mm-hmm. completely different than I was five years ago. So um go ahead. I want to start with kind of the answer at the very end.
1: I'm going to start with that here as well. I want to say it in both spots. I understand that we go 60 minutes roughly on these training Tuesdays and there's a lot of talk that happens. So I'm going to say it twice. Okay. I'm going to say that, no matter what program I've chosen, it always negatively impacts my running until I'm used to the program. Sure. No matter what the program is, I
0: feel like crap running. Are you referring mostly to lower body programming, I assume? Upper body affects me too. Does it get you a little bit? Lower body is,
1: is really concerning. Uh, concerning. As Many times I run with lower body damage from lifting and I'm like, I could hurt myself. Maybe Mm it doesn't happen as much anymore. But when I try something new for the first time, which by definition, it's new if it's the first time, um, but upper body is depressing. I feel like crap when I try to run well with a tired upper body. So both. Okay. No matter what I choose, it negatively impacts my running, but no matter what I do, I get used to it. And it stops impacting my running. And so I would say that right off the bat, the time to implement strength training is sooner rather than later because you have to go through the growing pains of it before you start to feel the benefits of it. And it's to the point where I've seen athletes who lift the day before races because it doesn't impact them anymore,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but it keeps them from going stir crazy or they feel like it even primes them. I couldn't believe it when I f- first saw people doing that. And now it's like, well, I get it because they, that, they didn't know any different. They'd done it for so long that what looked like work to me was just a light walk through on the weights to them mm-hmm. just to get their body moving a little bit. So you have to, uh, not have to, but if you want to feel your best, whatever strength you end up choosing by the end of this, start it early in base phase if you can. The earlier into this phase, you can start the better because over time, as you add more and more endurance work in, it builds concurrently with handling the strength training better and better and better to the point where you don't notice it after a while. But that's what I want to get out of the way earlier is that you will feel worse up front, but it does not last.
0: How long do you think, um, how long do you think that acclimation phase lasts for me? You know, I would say that first two weeks is going to be rough, no matter what. Right, like, like pretty rough. Like for example, when I was doing heavy like five by five squats, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to transition from parallel stance to split stance or single leg stance, like Bulgarian split squats or walking lunges. I was so sore. Like it's like I've been heavy squatting. I should be fine. And then I transitioned, and I was wrecked. Yeah. And then it affected. Point being, is that first two weeks can be pretty tough. But I actually find like. Like, once you get past that two weeks, okay, you, you like, you really progress. But then there's another phase where your body, like, has to settle in and acclimate to work so you can still be productive, let's say, the following day with running. And that can take six to eight weeks where it actually, like, you're actually settled in. It's not like, oh, well, my intervals were slow because I lifted yesterday. Like, that mentality goes out the window finally six to eight weeks in uh, for me. What do you you find?
1: Yeah, I was going to say two to nine. It's
0: pretty two weeks to get over the scariness Mm -hmm.
1: up to six to nine before I feel like I can do all the work I want to do on both ends. Mm -hmm. And I say nine because I did a strength program once and on week nine I I wrote down, I ran well today. And it was a surprise. So it took nine weeks that time. But that was probably my biggest outlier. I had been going from very little barbell work to consistently going three to five by five on squat and I think that was five by five at the time of squat and deadlift and that was very taxing on my body and I was struggling with some mobility issues so I was always having some little micro tear stuff going on Mm -hmm. I was very uncomfortable running uphill or especially downhill and flat
0: fast at the time nine weeks can you run well on sore muscles from lifting legs in particular yes you can
1: Not everyone, but most people can to some extent. Lisa loves it. Lower body. If her lower body, her glutes or her quads, specifically quads, sometimes glutes affects her more. But if her quads are sore, she kind of looks to, I'm going to go a little longer today or a little faster. She knows she runs well off that. Mm -hmm. Upper body,
0: not a chance. Really? So my argument is absolutely you can run and even race well on sore muscles from lifting I've done it. The difference is this. First week, second week in, like there's an incapacitated feeling that you can't really get through. Let's say it's your first time squatting in months and then you have a long run the next day. You're in for a suffer fest. But once you have primed the system enough and you've fallen into that, let's say you're in magic nine week mark, even when you wake up and you're like, ah, my insertion of my glutes and hammies is a little stiff and sore and like you know, you're having a hard time bending over to put your socks on almost type sore. Once you've been in that routine, I have nailed workouts. I get my body temp up. I get a good warm-up in. And, yes, it can be labored, but I've I've nailed it. But not when it's a new stimulus. It's when this has been consistent stimulus. I can handle it. So I don't know if you've experienced the same thing.
1: Yeah. And I, I found that I have to really specifically program out what I'm going to do up front. So I have two ways I can do it. The first is that I have to dedicate time to the lifting, which makes a lot of sense at the beginning of an off season. If I'm going to run really light and easy for two or three weeks anyway, I might do like a four day split and lift hard four times per week and get all of the really badness out of the way Mm -hmm. just in mass. While I know I'm only going to be doing biking or hiking or light running in between so I can afford to feel all of it at once. That's one good way of of getting through that in a safe manner.
0: Rip the band-aid. You off.
1: ever do that kind of thing? Sure.
0: Oh yeah. And knowing and planning planning my run schedule in which, okay, like I understand like for two days after this I'm I'm not planning anything of quality because I understand what I'm so yeah. I have foresight. So I still hit my stimulus that I want that week on the run front, but I plan ahead, of course. Yep.
1: I said two, but I actually mean three. The second way is kind of the opposite. Don't change my running much, but I add in the strength work the sets and reps of what I want to always do, but with much reduced weight. Mm -hmm. So get used to going through the motion, getting under some tension, but not taking damage early on. And then as I get accustomed to the rep ranges and and the work, I start loading the bar more and more and just kind of ease into it on top of it. And then the third is uh, trying to do them concurrently. Often I'll remove the midweek long run and replace it with the lifting stress. That's my biggest lift day. I'm allowed to go hard because I have 48 hours on either side that I'm not doing anything even remotely quick. And then another day or two per week, I do kind of that lighter version going through the the motion until I get more used to it. But either way, up front, I have to respect the stress and the damage of the lift and not compound it with damaging or stressful running.
0: What do you think's better? Rip the Band-Aid off and know that it's going to be hellish or gradually work into it. So you have just a little increased soreness every week, but it's not debilitating. I think it depends on the athlete. I agree. I used to be the rip the bandaid off when I would start back up. Um, maybe it's just because like I'm more tenured now, but I realize like they all <laughs> end up in the same result. If I like care about where my strength's at in like four to six weeks, I'm going to end up in the same yeah. place. So why, why have a hard time getting in and out of my car for two weeks right. when I know I can still get there without that? Uh, damage. So now I've shifted, but either way, it gets the job done. Yeah. I think that it depends on your history in the weight room.
1: I think that if you're not used to the range of motion and the actual technique of putting out power appropriately, Mm -hmm. it's better to ease into the weights and start with a big form session. So do all the reps and get those reps in well and watch your form and study it and then add weight in because... You're not going to be able to drive as much power as you need to anyways, but you are going to be obnoxiously sore. But if you have more background in it, I'm okay with a rip the bandit off two weeks. Like Mm -hmm. Let's just jump back into it. You're not going to hurt yourself form-wise, so get under the bar. Let's start moving some load and get used to it. But I think with running in particular, absolute strength doesn't matter as much as the bulletproofing as the resistance to injury and the ability to handle other work matters. Agreed. And so we don't have to split hairs with trying to maximize percentages of strengths. Working at 60% of your one rep max and working at 80%, it's not gonna really change your 5K time based on absolute strength. Some people would fight me on that and that's fine. There's some merit to that argument, but it's not gonna make you a different athlete whether you start at 60% of a one rep max or 80%. But what will matter is staying healthy and then being able to handle more work down the road and the pounding of whatever you're going to do on a stable platform because you're stronger. Mm-hmm. So it's whichever path gets you to that place. That's the one that matters. So we don't have to split hairs as runners.
0: We don't. And raw power and raw strength, improving that uh, isn't going to guarantee that you are going to be a better runner who's half as strong as you. Like people think like I need to maximize how strong I am at everything, like I need to deadlift as much as I can and I need to squat as much as I can, and I need to bench as much as i can um and and that's going to translate one to one to my running and although it can help, and there's nuances in our sport with hybrid racing and mountain racing and trail running, the strongest guys I know don't have the fastest five k time bragging, and we're talking to. You're muted because your bells, I think. Yeah. And so I'm not I'm not underselling strength work, um, because it's very important for us. But what I am saying is, if you're splitting hairs between like getting to the top percent of your potential power output or not, I don't think it makes a difference. In fact, when I've been in the heaviest phases of training where my strength has been the best, my running has been the worst. Um, mm-hmm. And I. And now there's a time and a place if you're a high rocks athlete and you need that power output and it meets in the middle and that yields you the best overall result for the race, of course, then we want to focus on power output. But what I'm saying is that whether I'm right now, I did 30 reps of bench press for sets today. I mean, what the heck? Because my dumbbells stop at 55 pounds and I can rep them that many times but my, but nonetheless, my running is going fantastic. I'm working all of my metabolic systems I'm working all of my strength pathways and I'm doing it very differently than I have in the past at times. But yet my bench press at two at, at max barbell would be down right now. My barbell squat would be down right now. But point being is, um, the stimulus is being achieved one way or the other muscle damage is being created. It's being repaired and it is strengthening in its own way. And you're not, missing any of the boxes that need to be checked um the question you have to really ask yourself in this realm in the strength training realm is what am I trying to accomplish through my strength training thank realm? you okay so thank you is that where you were getting at next I assume you wanted to get yeah that, to... That, that I think that's the most important thing is why are we lifting as runners why correct what am I trying to accomplish why am I doing this do you want to speak to the runner space only or do you want to speak to? the hybrid space as well as the OCR space.
1: I want to start, I want to start with running
0: because the Y is very different. Well, go roll right. And that's what go, go right ahead. Then why don't you start that conversation?
1: Well, there's the classic argument from the strength based coach will tell you that if you can increase the amount of force you can put into the ground, putting out lesser force becomes easier. So if I can deadlift 200 pounds, Well, I only have to really deadlift 180 pounds to get myself to run each time with a single leg. So if I can move that to 400 pounds, now think about how much easier it is going to be to put force into the ground to run. Mm -hmm. And I think that while that is logically and scientifically correct, it's unimportant. It's not the reason we should be strength training as runners. A, because there's no compelling evidence anywhere that that's true. Mm-hmm. It makes sense on paper, but there are so many confounding variables that go into improving your deadlift from 200 to 400 that you can't keep your running in a vacuum and see how it's affected. So I, I'm, I'm unaware of any evidence that actually shows that to be true, even though it makes sense mm-hmm. and it's logical. The second is that by approaching with that mindset, now every lift really matters. Every nuance really matters. And in fact, it doesn't for running. If we approach it from a different reason, there's a lot more flexibility and freedom for how and why you train and how you implement it. So I guess that's my intro to this. And you might differ
0: in some opinion on that. No, I don't. I think it. we like to make like, well, if I do... 12 by 400 this week and then I do 13 by 400 next week and 14 by 400 the following week I'm going to have this linear progression that translates perfectly and we all know that running doesn't work that way we like to romanticize the fact that we follow these nice progressions and then we improve at the steady rate but we all know it ebbs and flows and there's hills and valleys and strength work although on paper what you said about more power equals less effort per stride means more efficient runners well I know there's a strength to rate weight ratio concept to running right but like the guy like i said the guy who can deadlift the most the, the most the power lifters of the world like are the slowest comparatively yeah. right and i know we're not trying to train to be power lifters but um here, here's what i, I want to give it a quick elevator pitch on the strength training bullet points no matter if you're doing sets of three or reps of three or you're doing reps of 30 like i did today it's like here's what happens Strength work is really mobility work in disguise, and people do not talk about this. Squatting below parallel, forcing your body to create some sort of power output in a compromised position, a squat below 90 degrees, a Bulgarian split squat, I'm talking lower body here, a walking lunge, uh, a Romanian deadlift. You're putting tension on the insertion points, the tendons, ligaments, how the muscles sort of fade into or whatever bind there. What you're doing is you're causing those to do work. You're causing them to stretch, contract, and you're working through range of motion. So no matter if you're doing body weight or you're holding you have 100 pounds on your back for a walking lunge, you're actually doing mobility work in disguise. People don't talk about that. Things work better when you're going through range of motion with things like that and forcing muscles to contract in a non-ideal state. And so number one right there, I don't care what you're putting on your back or what is in your hands. You are actually shortcutting a process. And I know some people disagree with me. But this is mobility work, and it keeps the hip girdle, uh, all those – like the ball and socket joints um, mobile. Yes, it may make you stiff and sore afterwards if you're not used to the stimulus, but it's actually working range of motion, and people never really talk about that. And so I don't care how your style is. The important fact is that you're going through a version of Of those movements, correct. No matter the no matter the uh, stimulus,
1: I think it's generally accepted that if you wanted to get as flexible as possible, as fast as possible, you do resisted stretching. You contract a muscle or put it under a band or under weight, and you fight against it, and then you relax and you stretch
0: further. That's the quickest way to get flexible. Have you ever been into a a physical therapist and they put your leg up into like a hamstring stretch and they say push against me? And now relax, and they push deeper into that stretch. And then they say, okay, resist me, push, 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 Yep. relax. Okay, now that is an assisted way – sorry to interrupt you, but that's like an assisted way to accomplish what you can simply do by putting a barbell on your back and squatting.
1: Yeah. Really? Yeah, and so if it's true for stretching, it's true for mobility. They're kin there. So you are absolutely right on that. And it doesn't get – I don't talk about that ever. No. But simply by doing Olympic lifts or platform lifts, compound lifts, your shoulders, your hips – they get more mobile.
0: Where do we create power, right? Creating power, as much as people like to think it happens in the muscle bellies, it really happens on both sides of the muscle bellies where those tendons and ligaments insert into joints. All of our muscles do that. And so when those, again, are forced to work, it doesn't really matter how much m- the muscle itself is being stretched. It just has the fact that the tendons and ligaments are being like, who is it? Was it Kempson or Johnny Luna Lima talking about this? I think Kempson.
1: Yeah, Burdenko.
0: The Burdenko method. But I I think with that principle alone, and you look at a historical, like a runner who's been running for 50 years, and their stride can't open up more than a foot, and they're shuffling along, Mm -hmm. I bet my house that that person isn't doing a lick of strength training because they've lost all mobility. And so... You want to split hairs all yeah. you want, but that's what it comes down to for me. And that works for the upper body as well.
1: Yeah. So you've got that portion right there, which does not depend on absolute power. Correct. Or putting out pure force. You can get that with 50% of your of your max or 80% or 100%. You're getting that range of motion and you're activating under parallel or at a, like you said, at a deficit, at a compromised position to activate through there. That's what's required. There's no percentage of max associated with that. So it allows us not to split hairs. The second reason you strength train is because you really strengthen all the areas that are stressed by running. Where do people get injured running wise? Hips, knees, ankles, Achilles, calf, hammy, quad. Most of them reside right through there. sometimes lower back. Yep. Strength training addresses every single one of those things, including stress fractures. Every single one of those is impacted for the positive by strength training. So again, absolute power is not even in the conversation yet. It doesn't matter how much you're moving. More is typically better, but less is not necessarily worse. Right. So again, we don't have to split hairs on what power method is the best because it doesn't yet matter in the
0: conversation. Um, And I'm going to follow that up with my second most important point as to why none of this matters. I don't give a crap what you're okay. doing as long as you're doing something. The first is the mobility piece. Um, I'm going to uh, divulge something to you right now. I had a confession a couple of weeks ago about not. Um, You've been you had two in a row. <clears throat> well, I this is ha- your third confession. Well, okay, in three so weeks. the confession was I don't write in my running log anymore because Strava has become so good. What was my next confession?
1: Uh, Speedworks overrated.
0: Speedworks overrated. My third confession is that I have not done any, this is the least amount of, okay, I do no stretching, I do no mobility, I do no rolling, I do no yoga, I do no nothing, okay? This is the longest injury-free stretch I've ever had in my adult life, Mm -hmm. and I haven't done a lick of prehab, stretching, mobility, anything, but do you want to know what I'm doing more consistently than ever? is lower body strength work, working through range of motion and doing it consistently. For years, I left the lower body alone when I got into Spartan racing and um, high-level running. I do bro lifts up top to keep my chest ease, and I would forget about everything else. That's a big confession. I don't spend one minute a week, Bracken, doing anything. My stride is more open and efficient than it's ever been. My muscles are more springy and explosive than they've ever been, and knock on wood (coughs) – I am more injury-free than I have ever been, and I've done nothing to earn that other than being more diligent with lower body work, going through range yeah. of motion. That's a true confession right there. Do you think that's a do you think that's coincidence, Bracken, or do you think there's something to it? And I've gone through high rep and low rep schemes through this time. What do you think? I think if you add a big old
1: engine to a weak chassis, something breaks down. You're strengthening the chassis you're strengthening the supporting features, and you're making them more pliable. I'm not advocating
0: everybody take this route because I don't think it's going to work for everybody.
1: We're not saying you're healthy because you stopped stretching or doing mobility. We're saying you're healthy despite it because you're doing
0: this. When I was getting injured every six months, Bracken, I was 20, 30 minutes of intense stretching after my runs three to five times a week. I was Going through mobility after my strength workouts, but again leaving the lower body a little bit more out of the equation. So I've actually sh- I used to do it when I was getting injured. Um, okay, we don't need to dwell on that, but that feels really good to say. No. The second thing is that how many? Let's say you're a five k racer. How many strides do you take in a five k? Would you say? Just a guess.
1: Oh my goodness! Fif. It's called it sixteen thousand feet. Average stride of, let's say, five feet for someone. I should say 3,000 strides.
0: Let's say 3,000 strides, okay? Who gives a crap? really wanted to say the S-H-I-T word there to make my point. But who gives a crap... If you're doing 3 reps of something or 33 reps of something, that is such a fraction of the number of times your feet are hitting the ground in a 5K that the power output required and the strength benefit required, whether you're doing 3 reps or 30 reps, is so astronomically more than what each stride costs running a 5K that you're splitting hairs needlessly. I don't care if you do 30 reps or you do three. This is so much, it's requiring so much more power from you than yes. a typical running stride will that you're getting the appropriate stimulus and the appropriate work done on the appropriate muscles to benefit your running substantially. So that's countering the point that you made, or it's actually, sorry, it's piggybacking on the point you yes. made about max power would equal less cost per stride. So we want to maximize power The amount of hairs we're splitting in that, considering there's how many strides in a 5K, is ridiculous. And so, who cares? You're going to see benefit no matter which approach you choose because it's such a small percentage. It's such a higher power output no matter what rep scheme you choose. You following what I'm saying here? Or did I muddy that? Yes. Okay. 100%. Because if we go back to that
1: example of 200-pound deadlift versus 400 for putting out force for running – the breakdown in that chain of logic is that you're not assuming a deadlift position or pathway of your movement for running. And so it's not a one-to-one correlation. Now, if the if the concept was instead of 3,000 strides in a 5K, we want to see how fast we can do 3,000 deadlift reps. That now makes more sense because it's the exact same motion and you're literally putting out... Less effort to do more reps if your power is better. That now matters. And there is science. There is so much training and science and research that has gone into how can you have the biggest squat ever. Mm-hmm. and you know that you can't get away with thirty rep programs or 20 rep programs or even 10 rep programs for most of the year you have to be squatting multiple times per week and you have to stay pretty much below seven reps most of the time of the year because there is such a vast difference between what the programs will do you could get a strong squat but you're you're not going to get to a thousand pounds off of a 20 rep squat program right but they have not yet shown conclusive evidence for what type of of load moving matters more to a 5k whether it's total weight moved or max weight per rep moved what i mean by that is if you go three by five squatting at 500 pounds or let's just say 100 pounds to make it simple three by five you got 15 reps at 100 pounds how much weight is that got 1500 pounds what if you did three by 30 at 75 pounds or 50 pounds You're going to move more total weight. And that's a school of thought for some strength training is how much weight can you move versus how many reps do you do under load? There's no consensus yet over what impacts your running speed and endurance better, total weight moved, or, or maximum amount of weight moved per rep. There is no evidence of that. And so if they don't know if 30 is better than three, do they know if 10 is better than eight? or 8s better than 5? No, they know what it means for absolute lifting power, but they do not know the correlation yet. And anyone who tells you different will be wrong. We have anecdotes and we have sample sizes that are small, but we don't have industry consensus over how to best improve your 5K only through the
0: weight room. Preach. We don't know it mean, yet. Listen, if you're a, there's probably a few people listening shaking their heads. I I have to imagine there's some that really gravitate towards the strength side of things that are shaking their heads. Listen, we're not talking to you if you're a sprinter. If you're a sprinter, power output matters. For sure. If you're doing anything where you're working your anaerobic system and not switching over to your aerobic system, which is basically what after, let's just say two minutes of work, three minutes, I don't know where you want to draw the line, like really aerobic dominant. We're talking to the people above. Yes, you're smirking. We're speaking to the crowd like, yes, power output, heavy things, explosiveness, ball sport athletes, like we're not, We're running podcasts. We're not talking to that. We're talking about being the best runner possible. And there's also this myth too. Like I don't, we don't need to go down this rabbit hole too much, but like people will think like, oh, five by five program, I'm going to put on a ton of size or getting under heavy load is going to make me bigger or doing light weight, high reps is going to make me more tone. Um, There's a lot of science and studies showing the exact opposite that you could go do 12 rep schemes and put on a bunch of muscle. And you could do five-rep schemes and inc- increase power output but not put on much muscle at all. There's so much – There's and then there's studies that completely contradict that in the exact opposite fashion. Mm-hmm. And if science can't get it right, figure it out, and you could prove any theory you want through all of these studies, which have been done countless times in countless different ways, then what are we really hemming and hoeing over, right? Like – Go look, it up. go look up high rep strength training and muscle gain, and you're going to find 50 articles yeah. that prove that that's the way to go. You're going to say low rep, heavy weight, and muscle gain, and you're going to find 50 articles that prove that's the way to go. Um, why would that be if there was one right answer?
1: Yeah. And generally, when people say one, it's like, well, what happened when uh, Ronnie Coleman finally made his final change to his physique? Is he added this in? Or this person, this fitness model, who's, they're known, they only do reps of 10 to 20. Their body finally peaked when they added in three by three. And what the the takeaway there isn't what they added in that was the magic. It Mm -hmm. was that after many years of something, they added a new stimulus and it rounded out their physique in some way. The fact is that their athlete age, their training age mattered to what they were adding in. That's what really matters. And that's where we get to, which is, what is your athlete age? If you've never lifted, it doesn't matter what you add in. You need to add the thing that's not going to compromise your running the most. And then you progress up to the next level of lifting. And then the next. And then the next. And none of them are going to be bad for your running if you survive healthy and you have energy to run your workouts.
0: 100%. It's not going to matter. And you enjoy what you're doing. There's seasons of life and Endurance training is monotonous enough as it is. There's nothing sexy about going out for recovery runs three to five times a week. There's nothing sexy really about the process when you take a step back and look at how this works. If you want to get sexy, if you want to just ease your mind, like change up the stimulus, strength training is the place to do it. Strength training shouldn't be one of those cumbersome things on your to-do list that you hate the scheme or you can't. Keep engaged because you don't really know what it's doing for you. It's like, you know what? If you want to do a five by five program here and then you want to do something like I'm doing, which is on and off the assault bike with strength work, and then you want, like, as long as you're doing something and it's keeping you engaged, yes, like the process of endurance training is tiring at times. And I'm, I mean, it, to not sugarcoat it, do you agree with me there? Like, it can be 100% like it's a different version of the same thing, right? um, day in and day out. And so strength training is your place to set you free a little bit and play. I think as long as you're doing like core principle type movements and who cares what setup and rest and rep scheme, um, based on what I think are the two most important things, which is strength training is mobility work in disguise. It may be the best mobility work on my recent experience in the last few years. And then the fact that whatever rep scheme you pick is such a small ratio of how many strides you're taking out when you're running that like how can you really get it wrong? Yeah. You know, that's, that's how I feel about it. Other than shorter than of, of injuring yourself or having imbalances that need to be corrected. Of course, there's, there's nuances in there, but as like a general like overarching theme. That's how I feel about it.
1: Yeah. And the best one for you is the one you can complete consistency over consistently over time. If you dread your strength work, it almost negates its purpose. If you look forward to it, like I get to get in the white room again tomorrow. You're going to do the work and then you're going to continue doing it and you're going to get the benefits. And we haven't yet talked about the chemicals that you release when you strength train. They counteract the negative things that happen when you run. Strength training raises your testosterone. Running lowers it. So if you can counteract that, it doesn't matter which program. There's, Again, you're splitting hairs to find which program raises your testosterone the most. But they all raise it. So the one you're going to do the most is going to raise your testosterone the most. And so that's the one you choose. And so you can look at strength training. You can go and look at Westside Barbell. You can look at uh, Wendler 531. You can look at German volume. You can look at Pavel Tussolini stuff. You can look at Mark Ripito stuff. You can look at whatever you want. And you say, hmm, which one looks fun? Which one looks like way too much volume and work for me right now? And you start just whittling them away and you come up with one that I'd like to start here right now. And then see it through. Do it for a few months. And then when you no longer feel excited by it or engaged by it, then you make a change. Either by following the next version of that program, changing up the actual lift types you're using, or you choose another program. But you want to be releasing positive chemicals into your body consistently and you want to be working your body through range of motion consistently and you want to be building up your resistance to impact consistently. That's why we lift as runners.
0: Yeah, I I, I don't want to there might be a person or two out there thinking like <clears throat> we're not addressing intensity. Um, and and my philosophy on this is whether you're going higher rep scheme with an elevated heart rate or low rep scheme with a lot of rest the one thing I do think is important no matter what style you pick is actually do hard work, which means if you're doing a three rep scheme or a five rep scheme, like that last rep or two is pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. And you are getting close to failure at times. You're actually pushing the envelope. It is uncomfortable. When I was doing 30 reps of bench press today, the last five to eight reps sucked. Like I was getting as close to failure or muscle burn as I possibly could. And so I think, As long as you're achieving that feeling, no matter if you're doing a million reps or one rep, that's sort of the point you need to get to. Who cares if it takes you three reps to get there or a 100? The point is we get close to that point where we're building up the burn, we're building up the fatigue, we're building up muscle damage. Yeah. And whether it takes you a flash of a second or minutes to get there, roughly the same thing is being accomplished. But the point I'm getting across is that we still want to be working hard. It doesn't mean because you're choosing your pink five-pound dumbbells that you're getting, you're doing it justice in your basement while you're just like, I'm going to do 15 bent-over rows with my dumbbells, and it's not even going to be hard at all towards the end. Not what I'm implying, and I don't think that's what you're implying. We're still looking to push. So don't, don't think because you go through the range of motion, right. but you're not really exerting effort with your at-home equipment. That doesn't count. I'm still talking about actual effort being given no matter the choice a route you're taking. I don't, do you agree with that? Because that's a point we just haven't made. I think it's important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the only time that you shouldn't be sweating or out of breath at some point in your strength workout is if you are very new or coming off of injury in your learning and practicing skill. Yep. Outside of that, I, for me as a runner, I do best when I leave roughly two reps in the tank for most of my workout. Or if I'm doing five, I could probably get seven done. That doesn't make rep four or five easy. It means I could, with a spotter, fight for two more. And by the end of the workout, Mm -hmm. it might be closer to one. You have to work hard. If you're not under tension, you're not releasing the, the, the good chemicals as much. You're not bulletproofing your areas as much. You're not engaging with good tension at that range of motion as strongly. So, yeah, you're right. You must work hard. And so that's why it's even more important to choose the program that excites you because you're going to have to be uncomfortable at times. And so which one is pleasantly
0: uncomfortable? Yeah, I was just afraid that when we were talking about the different um, ends of the spectrum, that lighter weight, higher reps implies like easier. But actually, I believe that's much more difficult, and it actually sucks way more. Yeah. And so hard, hard work is still – like, we're still working. The point is to get your body to a fatigue state. And you're not going to do it if you're underselling yourself on the amount of weight you're choosing, no matter the rep scheme. That's all I wanted to get across.
1: Yeah, and don't confuse the weight that you're moving and the reps that you're choosing with what it does to your body. I run better in terms of life energy and stride off three by five than I do off three by 10 with lighter weight. Mm-hmm. 10 rep schemes really get me. Damage you. Yep. They rock my world and I struggle to run after that. But three by five with twice as much weight, maybe I feel weaker at some point. Maybe I don't, but I run better off that. I have more life energy. So lighter and higher reps is not necessarily the the automatic choice if you don't want to
0: impact your running. That might impact your running more. Correct. Okay. So we, we gave you theory last week, guys, on like non-traditional run train approaches. I feel like we've given zero specifics. And again, just theory and feelings about this today. Um, I don't think we need to give specifics. Do you, in regards to this? No, I've named names and you've named names of programs
1: we've used and they all work. They all will work for a different athlete in a different reason or the same athlete at different points in the year. So start looking into them. And you can always hire a strength coach. You can always pick someone's brain. You can find programs. But this is really about matching it to your running. Because while we think any running pro, almost, most running programs work if you do it correctly, you have to be more specific about what and why you choose strength there are so many ways to do the same thing that you get to choose enjoyment a little bit more for this one so it's less important to recommend a single thing because go find what you want but implement it correctly
0: i think even more than the actual run training itself like with the strength word uh world like so many roads lead to the same destination with strength work as in it as an aerobic endurance athlete not as a short yes. distance high powered athlete. we're talking again and I just think like even more so, there's more ways to skin the cat, which I don't know where that phrase came from, with the strength training than there is with with the running even. And that's where you should just breathe a sigh of release, relief and know that you have freedom to go in there. Of course, you want to have some purpose to what you're doing, but as long as you're doing something with purpose, yeah, you have nothing to worry about. And here's, here's my repetition of what
1: I said at the beginning. Choosing this sooner is always better. Because you will feel worse up front. So you just have to know that going in. Just like we say race day morning is a liar. Your warm-up lies to you. This is kind of like that too. You just know it's going to pass. It's going to get better. So start it early. And then the final piece is that despite us saying all these things, you're still going to run into people who say this is better and this is why. Or this is worse and this is why. In every program, high rep, medium rep, low rep, they're going to have their un. Debatable. Better parts to it. They're doing three by five will impact a certain part of your running better than three by twenty will. But three by twenty is probably better for cramp prevention than three by five is. It may not help your absolute power as much, but you're taxing your muscles longer into the sets, and so they get more time under extreme fatigue. So every single one of these is going to have a reason why it's better for something. But we don't yet know of one that's better for everything. So listen to these people, but understand that they're not talking holistically, they're talking specifically. And sometimes that specific information is the one that changes it for you. This particular benefit of 5 by 5 is worth it to me, and so I choose that. But just know that whatever it does well doesn't discredit
0: what the other programs do well.
1: It's important to know that. No
0: all right. Do you want to add anything else? Do you feel like you got no. everything off of your chest you need to, or are there, there are more? I'm happy enough with where, we, where we're we leaving this. I think I got my major points across today. It took me a little bit to find them, but that, that was about it.
1: I'm happy with the topic. I want to put a bow tie on my soapbox. Yeah, do it. There was a thread on Let's Run the other day, and I'm going to, I am gonna might get the title wrong, but the gist of it's right, is that <laughs> coaching is the most overrated aspect of, of running. And I would say that is right and wrong. Absolutely right and absolutely wrong. The magic of coaching, if there is magic, is matching the training to the athlete. It's not cramming the athlete into the training mold. And that's never more apparent than with strength training. There is no one strength training coach that is the best running match for strength training. There is not. Each person probably has their own version of what that's going to be. And that's what you need. Again, if you're looking at coaches this time of year or programs, those red flags need to go up if they tell you anything in absolute terms. Yep. Other than it's absolutely personal to you and we're going to work to find that. So coaching is the most overrated thing when done wrong. Right. Because a great athlete's going to be a great athlete with bad coaching if it's consistent. <laughs> that's just the way it works. Genetics are the most important thing. But... The ability to look at yourself, whether you're a coach or doing it yourself, and accurately analyze what you need and then find the plan to fit that, that cannot be overstated. So maybe coach is are the most overrated thing, but proper coaching is the most underrated thing. I don't know how to succinctly put it, but it's important to realize that if you're doing this yourself, take the reins appropriately. And if you give the reins to someone else, make sure they do the same thing. Don't
0: be forced into a system because that's all the coach knows. Yeah, making sure the coach... End of rant. No, that's a good rant. Making sure the coach um, fits the plan to the athlete, not fits the athlete to the plan. Simple enough. Yep. I like it. That was a nice bow tie. Anything else? We got anything else? Thank you. I, my entire life,
1: wanted to wear a James Bond tuxedo at my wedding. Just classic black black bow tie white shirt underneath and I was I was peer pressured into a white bow tie and I wish if I could go back I could have chosen the bow tie of my choosing it was too big and it was white I would have chosen a smaller black bow tie this bow tie talk has me thinking I have a great regret in my life and it's a bow tie
0: I'm sure you look stunning maybe we should post that photo as the cover for this episode I looked fine but I wanted to look stunning I'm more of a suspenders and suspenders in combo with a with a bow tie I like that classic look.
1: Yeah, it's a good look.
0: Fortunate for us, we make mm, we make our living wearing sweatpants and it's fantastic. I was once told that the nicer you have to dress to go to work, the more of somebody's bitch you are. Hmm. And so I really hang my hat on that phrase in our line of work. Those
1: are those phrases that I don't know if they're right or wrong, but they always justify with however you want to take them. hundred percent
0: so fist bump to the sweatpants wearing professions they make you feel good <laughs> I'm in blue dark blue joggers right now I'm in gray camo, alpha elite joggers, and they're fantastic. okay, bow tie, tied thanks folks till Friday right bracken till Friday. <laughs> See you guys. Thank you.